Bible or your electronic device. Let's make our declaration of faith. Somebody shout, this is my Bible. I am what it says I am. I can do what it says I can do. I am a believer and not a doubter, a doer and not just a hearer. And my life, again, and my life, one more time, and my life is the better after hearing, obeying, and applying a word from the Lord. Book of Esther, chapter number three, verses number one, the Bible declares, after these events, King Xerxes honored Haman, son of Hamadatha, the Agagite. Everybody shout the Agagite. <laughs> Elevating him and giving him a seat of honor higher than that of all the other nobles, all the royal officials at the king's gate knelt down and paid honor to Haman, for the king had commanded this concerning him, but Mordecai would not kneel down or pay him honor. Five declares, when Haman saw that Mordecai would not kneel down or pay him honor, he was enraged. Yet having, yet having learned who Mordecai's people were, he scorned the idea of, of just killing Mordecai alone. Instead, Haman looked for a way to destroy all of Mordecai's people, the Jews, throughout the whole kingdom. So in essence, he said, Pop, I ain't just coming after Elder McGee. I'm, I'm taking out Nargaport. I ain't just going after Jessica B. I'm taking down all the Wiggins. I'm going to start with a one red light. It's going to throw them in confusion. If I destroy that one red light in Wiggins, the whole town going to be in an uproar. I love Wiggins. Hallelujah. God, thank you so much for allowing my mic to be fixed. But I still believe it's your will for new in this generation, in this hour. <laughs> Turn me down just a hair in my monitors, please. Uh, verses number eight, the Bible declares, Then Haman said to King Xerxes, there is a certain people dispersed among the peoples in all the province of your kingdom who keep themselves separate. Their customs are different from those of all other people, and they do not obey the king's laws. It is not in the king's best interest to tolerate them. Nine declares, if it pleases the king, let a decree be issued to destroy them. And I will get, look what Haman says. He says, king, I want you to issue a decree an order that can't be revoked to destroy the Jews, and this is what I'm going to do. I will give 10,000 talents of silver to the king's administrators for the royal treasury. So the king, the, the king took his signet ring from his finger and gave it to Haman, son of Hamadath, the Agagite, the enemy of the Jews. Dispatches were sent by couriers to all the king's provinces, which the, Lord, which the order provinces with the order to destroy, kill, and annihilate, everybody shout, all of them. All the Jews, young, old, women, children, on a single day, the 13th day of the 12th month, the month of Adar, and to plunder their goods. Father, now in the name of the Lord Jesus, I want to thank you once again for this opportunity. Um, God, I'm always careful, God, what I say and how I say to people that you love. So my prayers today, this morning, is, is to let the words of my mouth and the very meditations of my heart Truly, God, let them be acceptable in your sight on today. 
I give your name the praise, the honor, all the glory, and it is in Jesus' mighty name. And everybody says, amen, amen. Super excited. Um, so we, we've been in a vein, and that's all I can call it, um, a vein for the past couple of weeks now, maybe three or four weeks. And um, I haven't necessarily given it a title. I've just been flowing as the Spirit of God has been leading me. And, and today I want to add some concluding thoughts to uh, the vein that we've been in. Yeah, we know you're messing up, Tim. <laughs> I want to add some concluding thoughts to this vein that we've been in. And not only that, um, I didn't get a chance to minister personally during the men's retreat, the men's conference. And um, I want to share my thoughts. Uh, the, the theme of the conference, the retreat, was building back better. Um, and God put Nehemiah in my heart because there are some of us that there are some dreams there are some plans that he put in place for us that we have abandoned, sometimes because it was, we thought it was too challenging, sometimes because of warfare, sometimes just because of complacency. And God says, no, there are some things that I want you to go back and build back better. Everybody shout, build back better. So I want to start here in the book of 1 Samuel, chapter number 15, verses 1, and we'll go back to Esther in a moment. Um, there are some instructions that, that God gives through the prophet Samuel to King Saul. God help us today. The Bible declares, Samuel said to Saul, I am the one the Lord, I am the one the Lord sent to anoint you king over his people Israel. So listen now to the message from the Lord. This is what the Lord Almighty says, I will, everybody shall punish. Now, now look at this. He says, I will punish the Amalekites for what they did to Israel. When they waylaid them as they came up from Egypt. Now, let me pause there for a moment because sometimes we have, a, we, we have this little saying where we say, you know, um, that there are no big sins and there are no little sins. And I understand. I understand that thought. But there are some things that you can do that will move God differently. <laughs> let me just say it like that. There, there's some things, there's some sins that you can commit um, it, it, it'll just move God just a little bit differently. Uh, one of those sins Jesus highlights is blaspheming, blaspheming against the Holy Ghost. When you do that, it moves God a little bit differently. The Proverbs and Psalms highlight pride as a sin that when you commit that, that, that moves God a little, bit, a little bit differently. Another transgression that you commit is when you intentionally, when you intentionally plan evil against the innocent and the vulnerable. I'm telling you today, that moves God differently. And that's what these Amalekites did. They, they, the, the, the children of Israel, they were just being released from um, Egyptian bondage, slavery. And they were on their way to the place that God preordained for them to be. And the Amalekites came out of hiding and they attacked them. Let me show you Exodus 17, 14. This is the story where Aaron and her, he's holding up Moses' hand because these people came out of nowhere to attack the people of God. And so when Joshua finished fighting them and winning the battle, this was the prophetic word that God gave to Moses to give to Joshua. He says, then the Lord said to Moses, write this on a scroll as something to be remembered and make sure that Joshua hears it because I will completely blot out the name of Amalek from under heaven. 
God declares war on the whole nation. Now, I know some of y'all are kind of tripping about that, this whole idea of war and so forth and so on. But there, there are times in our society, there are times when we deem the courts, the law, uh, deem someone as, uh, how can I say this, unable to be rehabilitated. <laughs> Not that they can't be redeemed. Not that they can't be saved. But society will brand them as an individual that they can't be rehabilitated. Jail is a place where rehabilitation is supposed to occur. Now, we can debate that, and I'm with you, and if you're against it, I'm, I'm definitely with you there, because just locking somebody up, come on, somebody, just suppresses their craziness, in my opinion. But jail is society's standard of taking someone who commits hideous crimes rehabilitating them for two years, three years, five years, ten years to release them back into society, hoping that they're a little bit different than when they first came in. But then there are some people that society says that this man cannot be rehabilitated. He can never go back on the streets again. So we're either going to do one or two things. We're going to give him life in prison or we're going to sentence him to death because we can't trust him to be back on the streets again. God looks at a whole nation of people who's bent on attacking the innocent and the vulnerable, and they do it over and over and over again. Not only do the leaders do it, but they train their youngs to do it. Their families benefit from plundering innocent and vulnerable people. God says, I'm, I'm wiping them all out. Now, there's some people that's got a problem with that, but as a child of God, I'm cool with it because you know what that means for me? God ain't going to tolerate folk just messing with me. Y'all ain't. <laughs> I see it from that perspective. Look at your neighbor and say, neighbor, you better treat me right. Ooh, some of y'all been wanting to say that for a while. <laughs> some of y'all looked at y'all spouses like, you, you heard that. Don't be an Amalekite now, don't you be. So God says, I'm not going to take these people through rehabilitation. I'm wiping them all out. Now watch what he says in Samuel 15, 3. Now go and attack. God speaks to, God speaks to uh, 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 Saul through Samuel. He says, now go attack the Amalekites and totally, everybody shout totally. He says, totally destroy them all that belongs to them. Do not, everybody shout, don't spare them. <laughs> don't let up at all. Do not spare them, period. Put to death everybody, men. Women, children, infants, cattle, sheep, camels, donkeys. That sounds like everybody. <laughs> God declares war on the whole nation. My God today. Verse 7 declares, then Saul attacked the Amalekites. Now, now, now look, look, now y'all heard, y'all heard what God told him. But look what Saul does. And how many know that partial obedience is straight disobedience? You understand? Partial obedience is straight disobedience. Then Saul attacked the Amalekites all the way from Havilah to Shur, near the eastern border of Egypt. But watch this. He took Agag, king of the Amalekites, alive. And all his people he totally destroyed with the sword. Nine declares, but Saul and the army spared. God didn't tell them to spare nobody. But they spared Agag, the best of the sheep, 
cattle, the fat cows, lambs, everything that was good. Now, ooh, ooh, uh, here's a question. I just need you to ponder this for a moment. What happens when you disobey God? <laughs> no, 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 let's, let's, let's talk about that. Let's talk about what, Like real talk, what happens when you disobey God? And, and, and this, is, this is a part of a lesson um, about five or six weeks ago that I did not finish um, fleshing out because Jesus redeemed us from the curse of breaking the law, but not from the consequences of breaking that law. So, so if a man steps out on his wife or a wife steps out on a husband, the curse of the law is that they be stoned. So Jesus redeems us from being killed if we step out. Well, you could still be killed. <laughs> Chad, I just messed up my little sermon, Doc. I, I, had, it, I had it in my head to roll a certain way, but I thought about it because uh, I want to tell y'all about y'all first lady. Joe, she, she, she threatened that EMCC would be looking for a new pastor. I'm just telling you what y'all first lady said. <laughs> Chad said it wasn't a threat, it was a decree. And you know what I said? I said, yes, ma'am. No, I said, yes, Lord. <laughs> I told her, yes, Lord. <laughs> Real talk, what happens when you disobey? Because the reality is maybe I'm not under the curse, but uh, there's still consequences that's associated with your disobedience. And we're getting ready to see some consequences that's associated with the man of God's disobedience. God speaks to Samuel, tells him in essence that Saul did not do what I asked him to do. So early in the morning, Samuel got up and went to meet Saul, but he was told Saul was going to Carmel. When Samuel reached him, Saul said, look at this, the Lord bless you. This is Saul talking. The Lord bless you. I have carried out the Lord's instructions. He lied. He lying, he lying, he lying, he lying. 14 declares, but Samuel said, what then is the bleeding of sheep in my ears? What is this lowing of cattle that I hear? Saul answered, the soldiers brought them from the Amalekites. They spared the best of the sheep uh, uh, and cattle to sacrifice to the Lord your God. This is where we get that statement that it's better to, it's better to, what's, what's that, what's that? Obedience is better than sacrifice. So he's saying, we got this cattle to sacrifice to the Lord. And God says, I'd rather prefer you obeying what I told you to do rather than sacrificing something to me that I didn't even want. Even worse, I didn't even ask for that. I asked for you to carry out my assignment in the earth. Are y'all with me, y'all? 19, he asked him a point blank question. And I'm asking you a question today. Why you ain't do what the Lord told you to do? I'm after somebody today. Question is on the table. Why, no, no. Why didn't you do it? Why are you not doing what God told you to do? He says, why did you not obey the Lord? Why did you pounce on the plunder and do evil in the eyes of the Lord? Here it is. Then Saul said to Samuel, I have sinned. I violated the Lord's command and your instruction. This is why I didn't do it. I was afraid of the men and so I gave in to them. I believe it's a partial truth in that. I believe he wanted some stuff himself. I think he wanted some honor. That's why he kept the king alive. 
I gave in. Look at your neighbor and say, neighbor, what's the cost of disobedience? Oh, I'm, I'm going to show you something. Because see, see, some of y'all, some of y'all, thank you, Jesus. <laughs> some, some of y'all are fooled into thinking that your disobedience only affects you. I'm getting ready to show you in the text that when God, point blank, who, who, you talk, who, you, who you aiming at, who you talking to? I'm talking to some individuals in here that God has point blank confirmed and told you to do some things, to kill some things, to cut some things off, to go in a particular direction, and you have not obeyed the Lord. And your, your, your witness or your testimony is, well, it's just affecting me. And I'm telling you, this what are you talking about? I'm talking about today the effects of generational disobedience. How when you disobey God, it just doesn't, because we know Saul, he's going to be demoted. He will no longer be king. He will no longer be honored. The hand of God, the favor of God will no longer rest on his life because of his disobedience. But what Saul don't see and what some of y'all don't see is that when you disobey God, it doesn't just affect you. I ain't even talking about generational curses. I'm talking about how you set your own children, grandchildren, great-grandchildren up for failure when you don't do what God tells you to do. I'm getting ready to help somebody in this place. Let's fast forward to the book of Esther, where the Bible declares, now there was in the citadel of Susa a Jew, everybody shout a Jew, a Jew of the tribe of what, y'all? Benjamin named Mordecai, son of Jair, son of Sheel, and the son of Kish. I'm going to come back to 2 and 5. Go to 1 Chronicles 12 and 1. 1 Chronicles 12 and 1 declares that Saul was the son of Kish. Esther 2.5 declares, watch this, if Saul was the son of Kish, Shimei is the brother of Saul. Jair is the nephew of Saul. And Mordecai is the great nephew of his great uncle, Saul. 1 Chronicles 12 and 1 declares, these were the men who came, no, Esther 3 and 1, declares that Haman is the son of Hamadath the Agagite. What that means is that for sure he's an Amalekite, but he's probably a descendant of King Agag. So in essence, Haman, oh my God, is getting ready to destroy a whole crew of people that he shep never should have been alive to do because Saul refused to slay everything God say kill. So Haman is the relative of Agag. Mordecai is the relative of Saul. God tells Saul to kill all the Amalekites, and he leaves some alive. He, does, he operates in partial disobedience, and look what his partial, disobe his partial obedience gets him. Esther 3 and 6 declares, yet having learned of Mordecai's people, he scorned the idea of killing only Saul's great-nephew. Haman looked for a way to destroy all Mordecai's people, the Jews, throughout the... I, I just wonder, I just wonder, I just wonder, did God with his omnipotent, his, his all-knowingness, 
looked at not only what the Amalekites did, but he saw them getting ready to wipe out a whole crew of his people. And he says, I want you to stop them in their tracks right now. Because if you don't, not only will they have affected my people in the past, I see them getting ready to destroy my people in the future. And so Nan declares, Haman goes, this descendant of Agag, this Amalekite that should have never existed. He says, if it pleases the king, let a decree be issued to destroy them. I will give 10,000 talents of silver to the king's administrators for the royal treasure. Ten declares, so the king took his signet ring from his finger and gave it to Haman, son of Hamadath, the Agagite, the enemy of the Jews. I'm just asking you a question. What is it that's still alive in your life that God told you to kill? And you so blind thinking that it's just affecting you when God sees beyond your generation. He sees, oh my God, it ain't even just affect Saul's sons, but it affects his extended family. His nephews were being affected by his, dis no, his great nephew was being affected by his personal disobedience. Look at your neighbor and say, neighbor, it's time to kill some things. It's time to kill some things. Let me give you some, let me give you some, some, some better directives of what we ought to be killing what we ought to be killing, what we ought to be killing. Matthew chapter number 16, verse number 21. The Bible declares from that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord, he said, this shall never happen to you. Jesus looks at him, the Bible declares, and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. And there are some of you all that are holding on to things that you ought to be killing because it comforts you. And God is saying, what's comforting you now, going to kill you and your descendants later. Look at your neighbor say, neighbor, kill it. So Jesus goes on to declare, verse number 24, Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciples, you want to follow me? You want to follow me? This is what you must do. Deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. What's the purpose of a cross? To hang somebody on it. What's the purpose of hanging somebody on the cross? To kill something that cannot be rehabilitated. What is it that we ought to be killing? Your flesh cannot be managed and rehabilitated. The only thing that you can do with your flesh is every day make a choice to crucify it. Yeah, 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 yeah. Let, let me read some mail. Let me read some mail in here. Let me read some mail. Ah, uh, yeah. Some of y'all know what it's like to say, I'm going to do it just one last time. I'm going to fail it out of my system. I'm just going to get it out of me. And you pacifying something <laughs> that can't be played with like that. Because your flesh says, well, if you want to, do it, girl. I got you. And you satisfy your flesh in that way only for it to awaken next time. Oh, my God. This time it was awakened in a secluded place where nobody would know. But this time it has awakened. It has come alive in a place where you don't want it to. Because the flesh is a horrible negotiator. 
So you be like, okay, this time we, we just going to do it. I ain't, watch this. By the way, I ain't even talking about a devil yet. I ain't even talking about a demon yet. I'm talking about this carnal nature that lives in this body that wants to rise up and take control of your life. Look at your neighbor and say, neighbor, we got to kill this. Look what Jesus says. Jesus says, verse number 24, then Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciples must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. 25, for whoever wants to save their life, you're going to lose it. But whoever loses their life, for me, will find it. I know what this is like, y'all. I'm telling you, I'm telling you, I'm telling you. I know what it's like as a believer to really try to do life without God. Because I'm looking in my natural eyes what would be appealing, what's, what's the picture of success, and I'm going after those things, and I, have, I don't have God co-signing on nothing I'm doing, but everybody around me is telling me, oh, this is the thing to do. This is the blessing. This is, what bless, this is how blessed people look. This is what they drive. This is what they live in. I know what it's like to co-sign, to try to get God to co-sign on something that he wants. And I didn't realize... By blinging and gaining life, I was actually losing it. He says, for whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life, I'm ta we're talking about the self-life, the self-life, the self-life, that life that pleases you but doesn't necessarily please God at all. 26, what good will it be for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul, or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? And I'm telling you, folks are selling their souls every single day, not necessarily to the devil, but to their flesh. I'm doing what gratifies me. I'm doing what pleases me. And the scripture declares when you do that, you yourself are not gaining life, you're actually losing life. Great Apostle Paul in Galatians 5.19, he says, when you follow the desires of your sinful nature, when you, when, you, when you choose not to crucify and bring your flesh under subjection, the results are very clear. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, sorcery, hostility, quarrelings, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissensions, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. Let me tell you again as I have before, that anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. He's going to say in 24, those who, th this is the standard, this is the standard. He says, those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. The Bible teaches that we wrestle against, we wrestle not against flesh and blood. We, but we wrestle against the demonic we wrestle against principalities, powers, spiritual wickedness in high places. You wrestle against demons, but you kill the flesh. Why? Because you can't kill a devil. The devil is like, the devil is like waste. He's like, he's like, he's like a, a poisonous waste. It has to be put in a place. And that's coming a day the devil is going to be put in a place. So you don't kill him. But this flesh, you got to bring it under subjection. You got to crucify it because your bad attitude is getting ready to affect generations. Your lustful disposition is getting ready to affect generations. Your prideful life is getting ready to affect not just you, baby, but generations. Touch your neighbor and say, neighbor, we got to get. No, no, don't touch. Y'all stop. Don't touch. <laughs> Look at your neighbor and say, neighbor, we got to kill it. Every day we got to make a choice to bring this flesh under subjection. 
every single day, we got to make a choice to bring this flesh up under subjection. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh. Paul is going to say later in chapter number six, he's going to say, watch this, watch this. From a practical perspective, he, I should have put it on the slide, but he says, I'm going to crucify myself to the world and the world to me. In essence, it's not enough to just say, flesh, you're not just going to have your way. Lust, pride, anger, jealousy, dissensions, arguing, outbursts. You're not, it's not enough to just say, you're not going to have your way. I am going to separate myself from environments that produce. Don't you realize that certain plants thrive in certain environments? They have oranges that grow better in Florida than they do in New York. Why? Because the environment of that side is conducive for that type of plant. And you can say all you want, I ain't lying no more, I ain't stealing no more, I ain't fornicating no more, I ain't going to operate in jealousy no more. But if you put yourself in an environment like that, you're going to bear fruit every single time. So it's more than just saying, I ain't going to do it no more, but it's taking it to the next level. Anything that has the potential to bring this, oh my God, help me out. Anything that has the potential to bring this out of me, I ain't going there no more. So this is what happened, man. God goes to Samuel. Samuel, go tell my boy Saul. These Amalekites, I'm not going to rehabilitate them. They've gone too far. It's the same concept that we see in Genesis chapter number 6 when the Bible declares that the imagination of the people's minds and thoughts was evil continuously. <laughs> that's, that's, what you, that's what the writer said. He says, the uh, not the thoughts, the imagination. What's the imagination? The imagination is this ability of the soul to go out beyond yourself, to see yourself in a certain place, come back to yourself and navigate there. He says that their imaginations, not that they're just evil, they're evil continuously. They spend all of their days foreseeing things to do that are contrary to my will and my plans. And because their imaginations like this, I'm wiping out the whole earth. He sees the people, the Amalekites, in the same regards. Their imagination is evil continuously. All they want to do is plunder the innocent and the vulnerable. So Saul, I need you to wipe them out. Saul partially obeys God. And the descendants of these vile people continue. And this man, generations, three, four generations later, by the name of Haman, he may or may not even know why his heart is so corrupt towards the Jews because it's in them. And he sees Mordecai, in his estimation, disrespecting, dishonoring him, and he says, I ain't just going to take out Mordecai. I'm taking out all the Jews. He gets a legal decree from the king that on a particular day, if you are a Jew, any nationality around you has free range to purge. Y'all thought that was just a movie? That came from the Bible. You got free reign to purge anybody that's a Jew. Mordecai goes to Esther. How does Esther come in? Y'all go back and read the story because it's a, Esther is a beautiful and a funny book all at the same time. It's beautiful and it's funny. Go back and read the book. Queen Vashti, 
The king asked her to come. She was throwing a little party. She didn't come. And uh, <laughs> king met with his officials and said, what are we going to do? They said, well, she publicly embarrassed you and dishonored you. She can't stay the queen because every sister in the kingdom, come on somebody, going to follow her stead. King said, next. <laughs> he demoted her. He demoted her and for a full year had interviews with the next potential queen. God gives Esther favor. And later on in the text, it's gonna, uh, she's going to be challenged with this concept that you came to the kingdom for such a time as this, that you didn't just get, you didn't just make queen just because you're so beautiful. Come on, let's go there. Some of y'all, you didn't just get the job just because you was the most qualified. You was the most educated because there were people that had better, more degrees and more experience than you did. But God says you came to this position for such a time as this. You thought you was just there for a paycheck. I keep telling y'all week after week that God got all kind of ways to pay your bills. <laughs> Man, my sister, uh, Sister Shara, she got a testimony. She got a testimony. She was going through some hard times. I'm talking about some very, very challenging time. And she was out praying and praying and praying. And while she was praying, she kicked this brown paper bag. And she reached down and looked in the bag, and it was wads of $100 bills. Guess what she didn't do? Call the police. <laughs> you know what happened? Some bills got paid up in that household. Look at y'all. Y'all help me preach to your neighbor and say, neighbor, God got all kind of ways to pay your bills. Come on, somebody. Broadway, we were struggling. I'm talking about struggling, struggling, struggling. We were struggling. The church was struggling in 2005. And I'm like, Lord, you're going to have to help your boy. I don't know what we're going to do with all these bills, all of these decisions, all this stuff. And lo and behold, the Lord sent Katrina. I feel like running in this place right now. <laughs> Bro, I got paid after Katrina. I ain't stunning y'all in this place. I ain't stun y'all. I ain't stun y'all. <laughs> my wife, that hurricane was getting ready to come through. My wife said, you want, you want, you want it to come this way? I said, no, nah, no, nah, because I had to fix five roofs on Zeta. She said, that'll be 30000 I said, well, Lord, you know. <laughs> y'all pray for me. I need prayer, too. I'm sorry. I, for those of you who are offended, I'm just joking. But I did think about it. <laughs> I thought about it. My God, today, God got all type of ways to pay your bills. So when God opens up a door and puts you on a job, he puts you in a sphere of influence, you got to ask yourself the question, why am I really here? So Queen Esther gets the position, and she might think it's because it's, she's so fine. She thinks it's because she just got favor with the king's attendant, because the king attendant gave her the king's favorite gift. So when she walks in the room, she presents the king with something that he has a special attachment to, wins his heart, wins his favor. It ain't just because you're so beautiful. It ain't just because you got assistance around you. The favor of God put you in this position. So now I'm looking not at some Saul's. I'm looking at some Esther's, and I'm saying, what you going to do now? You're going to kill it or you're going to let it live? 
You're going to kill it or you're going to let it live to destroy another generation because he's getting ready to annihilate some folk right now, but it, he ain't done because they're, they, they, they're bent on doing evil. Your flesh is bent on doing evil. And if you don't, if you don't deal with it, talk to somebody. If you don't like deal with your fleshly anger, it's going to spin your babies in one or two ways. Either they're going to duplicate what they saw in the house, how you manipulated and how you, you dogged everybody out, or they're going to become so cowardly that they never rise up to their true potential because they're always fearful of somebody going to put them down or beat them down like their daddy did, like their mama did. What you going to do, Esther? What are you going to do? Your mama didn't fix it. Your daddy didn't fix it. Your granddaddy, your grandma, your uncle didn't fix it. But God says, I'm looking at you now, Esther. What are you going to do? Because I don't know about you all. I'm talking about the effects of generational disobedience, but I want to walk in the effects of generational obedience. I'm telling you, my great, 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 great grandchildren, and not only my lineage, I'm talking about Corky's great, great, great grandchildren as well, are affected because they uncle and they daddy, they great uncle and they great granddaddy obey God. And they're receiving the benefits and the blessings of my obedience. Am I making sense in this house? So Esther, what you, look, at, look at your neighbor and say, Esther, what you going to do? So Mordecai goes out into the street after this, this proclamation has been posted. And Mordecai is crying, wailing, put on sackcloth and ashes. Esther sends her servant out there to ask Mordecai, what's going on? Mordecai responds to the servant, tell Esther, we's in trouble. <laughs> we's going to die up in here. Tell Esther, we need to do something. No, 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 no. Back that thing up. Tell Esther, she need to do something. And I'm telling, I'm talking to somebody in this place. God is saying, Dave, you need to do something. You won't be able to pass the buck on this one. And I am so sorry. I want to apologize for you that your great, 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 great uncle didn't do what he was supposed to do, and now you fight not only his demons, but you fight his fleshly battles because he didn't do it. You are the recipient of a generation of generational disobedience right now. And I'm so sorry that you got to fight this battle, but the reality is if you don't fight it and whoop it, you're going to set the next generation up for failure. Y'all listening to me in this place. Well, the Bible declares, Esther 4:10. then she instructed him to say to Mordecai, because Mordecai already sent a, le- a, a message, Esther, you got to do something. All the king's officials and the people of the royal provinces know that for any man or woman who approaches the king in the inner court without being summoned, the king has but one law, that they be put to death unless the king extends the gold scepter to them and spares their lives. But 30 days have passed since I was called to go to the king. 12 declares, when Esther, Esther's words were reported to Mordecai, he sent back this answer, answer. Do not think that because you are in the king's house, you alone of all the Jews will escape. 
Don't think you're just going to get out of it if you don't do what God tells you to do. 14, for if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place, but you and your father's family will perish, and who knows but that you have come to your royal position for such a time as this. 15, then Esther sent this reply to Mordecai. Go gather together all the Jews who are in Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my attendants will fast as you do. When this is done, I will go to the king even though it is against the law. And if I perish, I just perish. If it goes sideways, it won't be because I didn't try. If I happen to perish, I just perish, but I'm going to see the king. Read the rest of the book because she puts together a fantastic plan that not only spoils the plan of Haman, but she finishes annihilating the rest of God's enemies. Destroyed him, his sons, his entire household. And watch this. Although the king's decree for this one day for a total purge of the Jews couldn't be overturned, he wrote another decree giving the Jews the right to defend themselves and not only to defend themselves, but to plunder their own enemies. Because she stood up and she said, I will not allow this plan to be un unfolded. I will not allow the enemy of God to continue to reign. Question is, what you gonna do? What you gonna do with flesh that's running rampant in your family? What you gonna do with flesh that keeps running rampant in you? What are you gonna do with the thing that God is telling you, I want you to carry this assignment out? How long are you gonna disobey? Because the reality is, your disobedience is not just affecting you and your generation, it's not just affecting you. But God sees how your hesitation, your fear of what people are going to say, and what people are going to do. Do you know that if somebody on your job, if somebody in your family needs to see what it looks like for somebody to be sold out to God for real? I, I, say, this, I say this all the time. When I look at my, my father, it wasn't, it wasn't too difficult. It wasn't too difficult for me as a young man to walk in righteousness because I had a model of it in the house. My daddy started generations of blessings because I saw the pattern, I saw the model. And I strive to do the same thing in my household. So here, watch this, it's another generation of blessings from my father to my household, now to my babies. And now they're gonna be the next generation that God is gonna raise up and he's gonna challenge them to follow, don't, don't curse the blessings. Don't curse the blessings through disobedience. Don't curse, I had, a, I had a wonderful conversation with my son and this is what I told my son. I told my son, I've been telling my son this for years, literally, for, since he was like in seventh grade. I told my boy, I can't teach you basketball, but I can teach you success. I told, matter of fact, I just told, Pop, I reiterated this last night. I told him, I told my son, 
I said, if I could play basketball, I wouldn't be just a good player. I'd probably be one of the best players. <laughs> Some of y'all looking at me like, how, how is that? How, 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 how was that? Because I know principles of success, and these principles are transferable no matter what. That's what I told my boy. <laughs> I hope the other team ain't listening. <laughs> I told my boy, take the ball out. And when you take the ball out, hear what your coach says, but then ask God, where you want me to position myself? And I said, don't just pray before the game, pray throughout the entire game. Ask God, who finna make the shot? Where do I need to position myself? Who do I need to guard on this particular play? Throughout the entire game. Position yourself. How I know it's going to work, because it works for me as a father. It works for, for me as a pastor. It works for me as a communicator. While I'm standing here, I'm in constant communication with God with what's next. What I say next. Well, I know I got my little notes. I know I got my little slides. But beyond my little slides, what's going to be most impactful in this? What's going to cause this message? What's going to cause this service to be a spiritual success? Take these same principles, transfer this to business. God, out of all these numbers that I call, which ones are going to be the yes? I'm using it for our new tenants. They're calling right now to rent the property. And I'm like, God, which one not going to pay their bills? <laughs> which one going to wreck my house? Y'all ain't saying nothing in this place. Which one going to treat my house like it's a dump? Which, which, what's going to be the best tenant? So I ain't got to keep coming up here fixing stuff every single month. What's gonna be, who's going to be the most responsible tenant that say, oh, Pastor, I just wanted to let you know that this broke, this broke down, but I took care of it because I'm a licensed contractor. <laughs> <laughs> Principles of success, they're transferable. They're transferable. Transferable. So what I'm teaching you today, it not only affects your life, it impacts generations to come. Let's not allow our babies. Everybody shout from this day forward. Let me, let me tell you about the grace of God, my God. Everybody shout again from this day forward. I'm, I'm talking to somebody. I'm talking to somebody. You have a choice today. To choose from this day forward. I'm going to step over my excuses and do what God told me to do. And what I'm telling you, what I'm, uh, what, what, I'm, what I'm telling you, I'm telling you is, if you make the choice and you keep in the direction of the choice that you make for Jesus, the negative effects of your bad choices, he has a way of erasing it and rewriting your storyline. Because there's some of you right now, you saying, Pastor, I hear your message, and, and, and that makes sense, so forth and so on. But I've already started some effects of generational disobedience in my family. So what I do about that is telling you, God has a way of redeeming time and rewriting your story. Jonah, if you choose today to follow me, what would have taken three days, I'll get you there in one. You choose to follow me today. 
choose to follow me today. I want your bloodline, your family, your family. Here's, here's the reality. Uh, one day I'm going to fade out of here. One, one day. One day. I'm, I'm going to get old. One day I'm going to grow a beard just like yours. <laughs> grow a beard just like yours. And I'm going to pass the baton. One day, Asia going to be running this church. One day, this young man right here, my man, they're going to be running this church. They're going to be running it. They're going to be running it. They're going to be running this church. Some of us going to be going on. Some of us going to be just sitting on the sideline, encouraging, strengthening, giving wisdom. They're going to be running it. The choices that we make today as a church affects how well they're going to run it. Whether they're going to run it or run it into the ground. And those are not only, <laughs> it doesn't just impact this church, it impacts your life and everything that God allows you to accumulate. Now, I know it's a bunch of blessed folk in here because I know your testimony. You've shared it, but you got a bunch. You, you, there, there's some blessed folks in this house here. What your children going to do with your blessings? Will you look down from heaven and be, and be proud of how they carried it out? Or will you look down, or will you just don't even look down? I don't even, Jesus don't show me nothing else that my kid is doing. I'm, 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 I'm absent from the body, present with the Lord, and I should be full of joy. I'm mad. I want to go back. Are y'all hearing me in this place? Everybody shout, yes, Lord. Heads bowed and eyes closed. Father, now in Jesus' name, God, I thank you for this opportunity to minister the word of God to the people of God. Thank you, 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 that you have already prepared their hearts. You've already prepared their, their souls, their minds to hear, to hear, to hear, to hear, to hear. So, Father, I'm just giving them an opportunity to say yes. To say yes. You, you, you showed me their there are a particular people that you have been challenging for some time now to cut some things off, crucify some fleshly things. Yeah. Some things are open, some things are hidden, some things are secret. But nevertheless, some things in their mind, they feel as though that it's minor and this, this just this little small thing that I'm doing. But you see the great negative effect that it's going to have on generations to come and you're challenging them to kill it today. And God, I thank you that it's, it's some man, some woman, some boy, girl that have already made up in their mind, I'm done with it. I'm already done with it. Pastor, I'm finished. I'm finished. I hear your message loud and clear. I have been the Saul, and now I'm the current Esther that's being asked the question. Now that this has been brought to your attention, what you going to do with it? Are you going to do something about it? Or are you going to continue to just ignore it? And you do your life the way you want to do it. Thank you for those men and women today that are saying yes. With